Hello everyone and welcome back once again here to Ginger Gerald, you lucky bastard. You know, for the last couple of episodes, I've selected themes that I absolutely love and then I've looked at them from an overseas point of view. We've talked about booze or the lack of it maybe in how do you take your January, dry or wet? And then we had Bon Appetit, and I got a little bit carried away, to be honest, with food. And I introduced the Ginger Gerald patented 4W formula, with which you've no doubt become obsessed during the last week. And I challenge any of you to say that food and drink are not super important, and very often they're top of your agenda when you travel or live overseas. True or not? Now, I know there are some people who just eat because they're hungry and they need to eat, but they don't really enjoy it. And I find that it's a real shame. I think it's sad for them. But personally, I love eating and drinking. I love making plans to eat and drink. And then I love talking about eating and drinking. I even love looking at the million and one photos that everybody posts, including myself, of their special dinners out or special dinners in. By the way, I've got a confession to make you, to you all. You know how I really slagged off the humble but traditional Mallorquin ensign mother last week? And I described it as a, ready, disappointing local delicacy. Well, a few days ago, it was a colleague's birthday. So what do you think she brought into the office for us all to share? Yes, you've got it. A couple of those very same ensign mothers. Well, how do you reckon I reacted? Do you think I said, that's very kind of you, dear colleague, but not for me, thanks, because frankly, I find Ensign Mathers a little disappointing. No, of course I didn't. I've been brought up to be so polite. So I helped myself to a good size slice. I got myself a coffee to wash it down with because it's a little bit dry. And I thanked her very much indeed for including me in her birthday celebrations. Now, in my defence, even she suggested that the plain one might have been a little bit better with some Nutella on it. I rest my case. You know, I'm always looking, asking you to share this pod with new listeners and so on. Well, if any of you know exactly who I'm talking about, please don't share this pod with her. Okay. Anyway, back to the theme of today. I was saying that food and drink are two of my best loved subjects. So I've decided to stick with another of Ginger Gerald's favourite topics for today's episode. Football. You may know it as association football or footy or soccer, particularly in the States, or even as nogger. And for those of you who weren't brought up with it, we're talking about that game that we all love and we all love to hate at times. It's played with a round ball. It's played by people with not a stitch to their name on the most basic broken bit of uneven rocky ground all over the planet. And it's also played by incredibly talented and sometimes spoiled young players who quickly become multimillionaires on hand-manicured lawns watched by hundreds of thousands of fans live and millions of them on the box. So football, you could say, has a rather extensive reach. And it's been part of my life since day one. Well, not literally day one, I guess, but as far back as my memory stretches. 
In our football, we all played football from a very early age. We also watched football. Well, Stoke City games, which I count as football. We'd listen to commentaries on the radio for late night European games. And we'd talk about it endlessly at school and at home. And we'd trade badges and stickers of our favourite players or whatever happened to be the fad at that time. So you could say football played quite an influential role in my upbringing and, in fact, in my life. The first organised competitive football I can remember playing was on a huge playing field just a couple of hundred metres from our house on a Sunday morning. The organisation was called Lads and Dads. I guess nowadays it wouldn't be called Lads and Dads anymore, would it? It'd have to be called maybe Kids and Parents slash Guardians, but it hasn't got quite the same ring to it, has it? Then after that came school football, then junior club football, senior club football, university football, North Devon League football, five-a-side, six-a-side, eleven-a-side, you name it. I played competitive football for whoever would have me, wherever I was, until relatively recently. So that's, well, I dare hate to say it, but at least 40 years of kicking a round ball around a bit of grass for no apparent reason other than it's fun and a little obsessional. Oh, and if any agents are tuning, I'd certainly consider coming out of retirement for the right offer, okay? Now, you may well be asking yourselves, and it's a good question, and I think you often ask yourselves this after my little introductions, what the hell has this football got to do with moving and living overseas, which is the very clear and undisputed raison d'etre of this podcast. Well, I'd say it's got a lot to do with it. For those of us who like the people's sport, then playing it, watching professional teams or watching your own kids play, compete and develop when you're overseas, living or travelling, is always a really special feeling. And one that leads to lifelong stories, friendships and rivalries. And, and not just that, but I bet you can remember exactly where you all were for each World Cup too. How many of you have moved holidays around or made sure there'd be a bar showing your game before you jumped on your flights? Now, my first taste of playing football overseas was on the outskirts of Paris on a lumpy red ash pitch, dreadful pitch, for a Tunisian team with an extremely short but extremely passionate coach. The early Sunday morning kickoffs weren't great for me, to be honest, but it felt so good finding and being accepted in a team, despite not speaking a word of Arabic, which was pretty lucky, I think, in retrospect, as our coach used to go absolutely mad at us just for conceding a throw-in. We won a lot more games than we lost, if I remember rightly, and tempers tended to get a little heated from time to time, which was usually every 10 minutes, but playing and training with these guys gave me a real direction and a real discipline within my, well, slightly chaotic world at the time. And at that same time in Paris, the Parc de Prince was the home ground for both Paris Saint-Germain and Racing Club de Paris. And so unlike now, it was easy and relatively cheap to get tickets for just about any game. So there I was watching these legendary teams play live. Teams I'd only ever heard about on a late Wednesday night commentary from the UEFA Cup on Radio 2. 
So football added huge value to my life during my very first stint of living overseas. And it's continued to add that value for a long, long time now. It's given me fun. It's given me friends. It's given me fond memories. And it's created for me a community within a community in a variety of places, a shared passion, shared experiences, and, of course, the inevitable frustrations that accompany anything that you're passionate about. Perhaps the beauty of football, when you compare it to so many other sports, is its basic simplicity. All you really need to play is a ball. Well, a stone or two, but a ball does make things a little bit easier. And a little bit of space. You can make your own goals out of anything you happen to have. You can play with any number of players. You just split them into as even teams as you possibly can. And that's it. There's no other equipment required. And that makes the person who brings a ball to the park the most popular person in the world for a little while. And you just hope he doesn't have to rush off somewhere before you're done. As a kid, we always did this. And we played until you couldn't see a single thing it was that dark. And then I absolutely loved the arguments we had about whether the ball went in or over the bar. Because, of course, there wasn't a bar. This simplicity lends itself to games breaking out completely at random. And when you least expect them and in the most unlikely circumstances. I know it's not like me. Oh, yes, it is, Gerald, I hear you say. I'm going to get a little bit self-indulgent here and tell you briefly about my top three random football playing experiences overseas. They were all overseas, of course they were. While I'm doing it, think of your own. Those who play or have played and live overseas, you'll definitely have some of these of your own. First up for me is Cappadocia in Turkey. Me and my brother were on a coach trip between Istanbul and Ankara, and we decided to buy and take football with us. We felt it might have been useful. The coach stopped for us to look at these weird and wonderful cave houses in Cappadocia. And if you've ever been, been there, you'll know what I mean. If not, look them up. We had a good look around, which was absolutely great. And then we got back to the bus. We had loads of time to wait before it was due to leave. So we got the ball out, just started knocking it between us, maybe doing a bit of head tennis, well, people just drifted in from all angles. And before we knew it, we had a full-scale ad hoc game. It just morphed into existence. It was tremendous. We were a mixture of local Turks, Turkish tourists, and then there was a bunch of foreigners from all over the place like us. Communication by word of mouth wasn't easy, but a temporary international community had been created in that very moment. Even the coach driver joined in as goalie. And all because we had a ball with us. The next one was really odd. When I lived in Venezuela, we were always on the lookout for new and exciting day trips to sell to our holiday makers and earn a bit of dosh for ourselves. The excursion to Angel Falls and to the national parks on the mainland of Venezuela were absolutely fabulous. But we had so many repeat customers that we needed to keep innovating. And also at that time, a local airline had just bought a small amphibious plane like Tintin, this is. And they invited a couple of us to join on a fact-finding mission to the Orinoco River Delta area to establish a new tour, 
in theory, in conjunction with the local community. Well, there's no doubt I really was a lucky bastard going back to those sorts of trips. The experiences were just phenomenal. Anyway, we duly landed on the river, which was a little bit unnerving, I have to say. I've never done it before and I've never done it since. And it was right next to a small river community. And we proceeded to do what we were there for. Now, at some point that afternoon, and I have no clue to this day how that began, somebody produced a board and a game started right there on the mudflats of the Orinoco River between the local lads and then a pilot, then a couple of airline executives and then Ginger Gerald here and his mate. I can remember that it was absolutely boiling. We played in bare feet on the hard mud and I had a smile for the entire time. That was just one top-notch, ad hoc, overseas footballing experience. And the final, third self-indulgent football tale I'm going to tell you about. By the way, I could tell you hundreds of them, but I'm sticking to three because I think you're going to get a little bit bored. This one was, well, this is a little bit of a cheap because it was pre-planned. At least it was pre-planned in my own head. This time I was being a lucky bastard in Brazil and I had the very enviable task of negotiating prices with hotels for a UK holiday company. Now, from the moment I knew I was going to be in Rio, I just knew that I had to play football on Copacabana Beach. You've just got to, there's certain things you've just got to do in life. And that was one of them. Purely for the bragging rights, of course, like this, for example, telling you a lot about it. And of course, for the memories. Now, when we got there to Copacabana Beach, there were a million and one games going on all over the place. So I tried to find one where the standard wasn't too high and that wasn't easy. And one where they had an odd number of players. That was a little bit easier. So I could be fairly confident that I wouldn't get an embarrassing rejection before I'd even made my debut. Fortunately, it all worked out beautifully. I played for a bit. I wasn't very good, but that didn't really matter. The game sort of petered out after a while, and I got a photo of myself with some of my teammates. Awesome. An absolute result. Right, Ginger Gerald, get out of your little dream world now, your memories. I mentioned when we kicked this theme off today that football isn't all about playing the game yourself, so I'll shut up about that bit now. A big chunk of what is football to many of us, is about watching it and feeling it. It could be your own kids playing, could be your local team. And sometimes when you have absolutely no control or influence on the outcome, it can be so much more exciting and so much more nail-biting than actually when you're playing yourself. When we first moved as a family to Cancun, my son was just turning five and almost immediately he started playing football at his school and, well, how should I put this carefully? In Mexico, they believe in competing, in playing to win, right from a very young age. So the cooperative, inclusive, collaborative approach where it's all about the taking part and everyone's a winner, it didn't really have a lot of support. The very best players were the ones who were picked to play for the team all of the time. And the objective was very simple. Well, it was to win from a very early age. And yes, of course, this led to the occasional argument. And 
I'm very embarrassed to confess to you all that from time to time, I was one of those dreadful dads on the touchline. I remember going absolutely bonkers once over a throw-in. It was only a throw-in. So I should really have known much better being a bit of a grown-up. And it's a bit of a blot on my past, to be honest. But there it is. And I know I'm not the only one to have fallen into the over-involved dad syndrome, am I? Or should I say over-involved parent syndrome? However, the vast majority of his games, whether they won or whether they lost, they were absolutely great and they were played and watched in the best possible spirits. I think our most memorable match was a school cup final, which ended up going to penalties. And our lad that particular day was the keeper. Those who've been there, and this could be related to any sport, but if you've ever been a very engaged sport parent, then you just know how nerve-wracking these situations are for you. My wife couldn't watch. She'd walked away. She couldn't even watch. They shouldn't really be that nerve-wracking, should they? It's hardly life or death. It's just a fun game of footy, but there's just something about that competitive spirit that makes it much more than it really is. Anyway, all of the kids had scored their penalties, so we were 5-4 up, and they were just needed to score their last one, and then we'd be going into sudden death, which is a really squeaky bum scenario, isn't it? So the young lad from there, we're 5-4 up, their player's about to take it. The young lad strikes his penalty really well to the goalie's right, but our lad, the keeper, launches himself the right way, chooses right at the right height, and he pushes the ball away. Well, it was absolute pandemonium. The place went absolutely mad. The players were throwing the sun up in the air as the hero of the day, and they were all, all of us were absolutely delighted. When I say the place went mad and all of us, the few of us who were actually there, we were very pleased indeed. Now, as if luck would have it, very shortly after we arrived in Cancun, a famous Mexican team, indeed, one of the oldest professional clubs in Mexico called Atlante, they moved from Mexico City to Cancun. And the city of Cancun suddenly overnight became home to a first division team and had a first division team to get by, to get behind. Now, I'm not a big fan of this sort of thing. It's true. For me, a club should come from one place and stay in that place as the club is the community and the community is the club. But it doesn't work like that in all sports or in all countries. Take the USA, for example. Anyway, it was absolutely fabulous news for us and it proved to be a real double winner. Because Atlante opened a junior academy and local school players were invited to join, which our son and a bunch of his schoolmates did. And the exciting thing about playing for the academy, apart from the matches, of course, was that the first team players would often pop by and help with their training sessions. And that included, at the time, a few senior internationals from Argentina, Colombia and Mexico. And all of the kids who played at the academy got to be the ball boys and mascots at the big games. And if, if that wasn't enough, their parents' siblings got super cheap and great tickets to go and watch all of the matches. So this engagement and involvement meant that we as a family became diehard Atlante fans for the whole period we lived in Cancun. We went to tons of their home games and really enjoyed the atmosphere and the event. 
The stadium, I have to say, was absolutely dreadful for a first division team. But even if the game was shocking, and there were some pretty shocking games, you could get Coke and beer and tequila, even a Domino's pizza if you wanted it. Almost anything you wanted would be delivered to you on the terraces where you were sat or stood. The local favourite halftime snack was called a kibi. The guys had run around with a little tray going, kibi, 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 which, much to our amusement, and our very childish sense of humour. This kibbe looked very much like a human turd on a cardboard plate. I'm told they're very nice, but to be honest, I never actually risked having them. Now, you may think I've got a little bit carried away again this week, and you're probably right, but the point I'm trying to make and illustrate through my anecdotes is that football, whether you're playing it or watching it, does have a habit of becoming obsession. obsession. And if you're an overseas family, then it can only play a huge role in terms of starting to get a feeling of community and a feeling of belonging to your new place of residence. If you let it, it can help to convert the place that you've just moved to into your home. Now, I can't finish today's episode without making a quick mention of the podcast which actually got me into podcasting in the first place. And yes, it was a football-related one. That Peter Crouch podcast was my inspiration, folks. I love Peter Crouch, and one of the 101 clubs he played for was Stoke City, of course, where he was and still is an absolute hero. Now, I started listening, and I found myself piling through the episodes at a real rate of knots. It was funny, insightful, relaxed, anecdotal, and at times a little self-indulgent. And you know what I said to myself? I said, I can do that. And that's how Ginger Gerald, you lucky bastard, was born. Okay, so to those who like a bit of football talk, I hope you've really enjoyed today's ramblings and Maybe in your memories, in your minds or in your lives, that's going to have a little bit of an influence and it'll bring back some beautiful memories and feelings for you. And for those of you who don't like football, well, you've probably switched me off by now, so I won't say anything to you lot, except come back next week when I promise there'll be no more footy talk, okay? Unless, of course, I remember another good story during the week. Bum, bum. Okay, that's it for now. Have an absolutely great week. Speak to you all soon. Bye. Thank you, Ginger Gerald, for enriching our lives.